Welcome to Acute Conversations, the official podcast of APTA's Academy of Acute Care, where we share engaging conversations about acute care physical therapy so you can connect to your profession. I'm Ashley. And I'm Leo. Today we chat with Bridget Griffin. We discuss her time as an APTA Association Leadership Scholar, such a cool program if you're interested in applying, and how you bring value as a PT in acute care, and what's all this talk about productivity. And you will learn about the Estonian carrying technique. You don't want to miss this. Welcome, Bridget. Thanks, guys. So I'm Bridget. I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. Like Ashley said, I was a 2022 APTA Associate Leadership Scholar, and my project was focused on the state of productivity in acute care PT, which is a topic that's near and dear to my heart as an acute care therapist. Um, I mostly near and dear to a lot of (laughs) acute care therapists' hearts. I'm excited for this. Everyone I've talked to has been very excited yeah. for it to come out. So why don't so, we start with why don't we start with that? Like why is productivity such a hot topic? And and Bridget, you had mentioned this about when you were deciding, or maybe we can even dial it before that, kind of like how you even got into this into this role of of, of being a scholar. Oh yeah, I'd love to know that. Mm-hmm. Tell me tell like how did you get to be an association scholar? So let's see. So we applied and got accepted like March of this past year of 2022. And I remember that I had like, I'd, I'd done a residency. I had finished all my training at work and everything like that. And I was like looking for something else. I was like, what else can I do? There's only like so many projects that at my stage, like, uh, you know, I'm a level one PT at work. So there's only so many things I could get involved with at work that I was truly passionate about. So I was looking for something else. And right after CSM last year, when I like, had been to a great talk about productivity versus value, specifically in acute care, had amazing conversations. It was a great lecture. So my passion for the topic was literally like raging. And then I saw that you could apply it to be in this leadership program. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And when I was looking, just skimming through the application before I filled it out, one of the topics for projects was on productivity. And I was like, yep, this is for me. And you were supposed to like rate one through six, the topics that you're most interested in. And I, I think I put three and for the productivity one I wrote like five sentences on why I really needed that needed to be my topic and how I was super passionate about it and had already done all this research and things like that um so that's really how I got started with the association leadership scholars was that I was just like I had the need to do something more and then everything kind of fell into place yeah Yeah. so I was in the 2000 I was in the centennial year the inaugural year which I guess was 2021 and we had a hundred of us but I think this year, there was just 25 of you all. So I'd love to know, like, what did you all do? What did you learn about? Like, tell us more. Sure. So we met once a month for, I can't remember what we, oh, like leadership chats. And then there was on um, optional fireside chats with the Catherine Worthingham fellows as well once a month on different leadership topics. So like, oh, wow. we were super excited at the beginning. And then we just had like little snippets each time of other leadership lessons and other areas that you need to know about to be in any leadership role. And like, even one on budget, which I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know anything about budgets. And, you know, Mm. what am I going to get out of this? It was still an incredible conversation each time. And I have my little notebook where I was taking notes all the way, the little like pearls that you need to remember for that kind of stuff. So we met each and we worked, we were working on our projects all along the way. Some people were in groups for projects and some people were solo. So I was a solo project. You mean no one else wanted to talk about productivity? (laughs) (laughs) A surprise. Not everyone was as excited. So 
So we yeah, we were either paired or solo and then had a staff contract. So I got to work with Kate Gillard, who is our health policy and payment person at APCA, and then Anita Bumas Dowdry, so our VP of practice. So those are my two like staff people. And then I also had my mentor. So there's five mentors for all of the scholars. Mine was Anthony DeFlipio, who was a former director of APTA. He's actually from Ohio. He used to be our OPTA president here. Mm. Um, and then we also got to go to Leadership Congress, which was like my favorite part and go to the APTA headquarters. And we had courses there that we had to go to. And it was just, it was really cool because there was all these people like Roger was there and some other leadership people at APC during our scholar session, just listening to the conversation we were talking about as like the new and upcoming leaders. So that was definitely my favorite part. And to be able to like see, actually meet everyone that was in my cohort and things like mm -hmm. that. So, you know, like in person, because um, was it all virtual, I'm yeah. assuming, throughout the year? Yeah. 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 Everything else was virtual. Yeah. That's so cool. We just, and then so our projects were due like mid-November and then we wrapped up last month and just like little presentations out to our cohort and we recorded this little five minute, five slide presentations to play at CSM this coming February. Well, that's cool. So you're done. You're done with the program now. Yes, I'm yeah. done. And so would you recommend it for other people who might be interested in applying? Would you say definitely go for it? Yes, absolutely. I feel like it was the one of the only leadership things I could find or programs I could find that was specific to physical therapy. A lot of yeah. other leadership programs I was looking at were like, oh, this is if you want to be a manager or if you want, you know, some some other goal or things like that. And I'm like, I just want to be more involved in my profession and help help move us forward in that way. So I, I think it was a wonderful experience. The project's a lot of work, but it was definitely well worth it. I, I know a lot about productivity now and I got to meet a lot of cool people that helped me along the way and talked me through things and helped me analyze data and all that kind of stuff. So I highly recommend applying for the program. Even if you have a slight interest, just apply, get your name out there and, you know, do the work that's going to move us forward. Yeah, we were both chatting about that right before, how we were both sad when our programs ended. It was like, oh, so sad. But And I looked, the deadline's already passed for the 2023 cohort, but for people who are interested in 2024, be on the lookout, right? Absolutely. And that's interesting. So actually you did this, but you had already been practicing for a while. So it's not, and then, and Bridget, you, you engaged in this leadership endeavor as it was, it were you a relatively new grad with your audience? Uh, I will be, I graduated in May, 2019. So I'm almost at four years. Okay. Okay. So it's still like relatively like new, but this is pretty cool yeah. that, that you, you know, it doesn't have to be something that you, you're a fresh grad, or even if you've been in the profession for a while, this is something that you can go for. And I, I feel that we don't do as good of a job like marketing and letting people know. So I'm, I'm glad that we have this podcast. That we and can students too, Leo. Yeah. Students can oh, do it too. We had students in our cohort. And I think you did too, right, Bridget? Yep. We yeah. That's all the way to experienced clinicians. Yep. Wow. And the people that you meet, again, being in APTA headquarters. Up in DC, their, their new, were you at the new building? Yeah, it was the, beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> really cool. Really. That's a great building. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Love yeah. it. You can like drive your bicycle in and park it yeah. downstairs <laughs> in the lobby. Like, no joke. It's so cool. Yeah. And then the wall, like where all the people like put their names up. It was really fun, like going and trying to find my name on the wall because I made sure to donate so my name would go on the wall. And there's like yeah. hundreds. It's really cool. So, so Bridget, why do you think productivity is a topic of conversation, especially amongst well, physical therapists in general, all across the board, all different types of settings, right? But then especially as it relates to those therapists that work in acute care? Sure. Okay. That's a big question. So, Tell us, yeah, yeah. give it to us straight. <laughs> How much time do we have? So 
so how I got passionate about it and interested in it, I wanted to know more, came from a place of frustration mm-hmm. that I I couldn't meet this number that was deci- decided by I don't know who, I don't know when. And no matter what I did, I, c- I couldn't reach it. There was only a finite number of strategies I could use before you cross the line of unethical or staying way past like my hours to try to, you know, get so many billable units. So mm-hmm. and no, so no matter what I did, I couldn't get there and I couldn't measure it against any skill that I could improve. So no matter how good I got at time management, it didn't make my productivity go up. It actually made it go down because I could see patients quicker, more efficiently, get them through treatments faster and move on to the next patient, which didn't result in higher productivity for me. Mm-hmm. And then I was talking to people within and outside my institution across the board, across settings that everyone was frustrated. And even across different leadership levels. So a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I can't make productivity. I'm angry. It's it's management's fault. Well, they're also angry because they know it's not a good measure either, but they don't know what else is out there. Right. So who sets these things? I agree with you. Like, where did these come from? That's a a lot of great things come out of frustration. Like, I'm finding this fascinating. Keep going. Mm -hmm. So because I've always been interested in policy and I mean, you know, evidence based, I was like, where where is this information coming from? What's the best thing that's out there? So I started reading a lot. My binder is like almost three inches big. And then I have more things saved online. I like to, I'm like, personally like to print everything when they read it. Um, So I started reading everything and talking to people within and outside my institution about, you know, what, where does this come from? Why is it like this? And I started asking lots of questions. And then the answer was that, like, like I said, no, nobody knows. We're like, well, this is the way it is. We don't have another option. But then I found Brian Hull's therapy value quotient. He has three articles out about about it and about like quality improvement, making changes and things like that. So I was like, okay, there is another option. And that I found that right before I went to CSM last last year and went to um, that productivity versus value lecture, which I can't remember the three people. I know Daniel Young was one of the people that was a lecturer, but that really like fueled my fire because there was people, like there was students in there, there was residents, there was therapists, there was managers, you know, every level of leadership talking and discussing how can we change this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Daniel so that's from Hopkins, right? I think um, I, is, I think so. He's from he used to be. Oh, but he does a lot of research with Hopkins. Okay, that's probably, what, that's probably why I know his name. He was yeah, definitely, he's on, I went possibly. to one of their critical care conferences and I'm, he was one of the speakers, which is why I think I associate him with Hopkins. Yeah, but yeah, so like I said, it was a born from frustration and then asking lots of questions looking for, you know, what what else can we do? How else can we measure this? And how we measure our productivity right now has nothing to actually do with how well of a therapist you are, how how well your patients do afterwards and what your outcomes are. That's the big, you know, the value that we bring all throughout your your project and, and just reading through it, the, the value that we bring as therapists. And again, outside of observers, whether it's the patients, patient families, other healthcare providers, they might not see, and I don't, yeah, as therapists, I also feel that we don't do a really good job of maybe articulating, letting people know exactly what goes on in our brains. They just see the external. So, so go on. Sorry, I, I interrupted. We're so humble as therapists, right? Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> we do bring a lot of value to Absolutely. the table. You're right, Leo, but like, how do you measure that? Like, that's mm-hmm. hard. So what is this therapy value quotient? Can you tell us more about that or what, what should we know about it? Yes, I will do my best. So it was so it's an equation when you look at it like I I don't even know what level of math it would be like. It's it's not algebra, 
But so it's an equation. And what he did was account for the things that we do that you can't measure productivity. So like documentation, education, Mm -hmm. communication with other health care providers. There's four things total. So he has a standard, a constant in there, the acute care constant. So it accounts for that. And it uses impact scores, whether it was a patient that you saw discharged, that was it, or a patient that you saw and then needed repeated therapy sessions. So it actually measures how well your patients improved. And then that's the number that's utilized to report to your hospital and administration or whoever is looking at your therapy department's productivity numbers. There is lots of information out there on the value quotient. So there's some articles and then there's also a on the, they just changed the name of it. The APTA Learning what website. What used to be the APTA Learning Center? Yes. yes. So they just Mills. changed it. <laughs> so hopefully that this webinar made it onto the new one. But yeah, um, it was called like Productivity versus Value, Why We Need to do Change change the Discussion and How You Can. And it's put on by Brian Hall and Catherine Thought to talk about the value quotient and the history of productivity and why we need a different measure and all those things. And they explain it very well. And you get a link to the spreadsheet that helps you just put in the numbers from your institution and use it well. And Brian Hull is also very responsive. I've emailed him a number of times and he's always been helpful to help me go through it, understand it. So it's it's something that's out there. It's another way to measure things. And I think right now they're the only ones using it. He's, I think he's down in Texas. But if more of us are using it, at least, you know, experimentally, you know, taking these numbers down, then we can actually see if it's measuring what we think it's measuring and kind of expand on it and make changes to it and, you know, reevaluate what can best measure what physical therapists actually do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is fascinating to me. Like, first of all, so over my head, it sounds like some fancy form of calculus or something algebraic. But I know I've seen this formula somewhere. There was an article I remember that came out. Was it on the acute care maybe website? It was a while ago, but I remember seeing this formula and I was like, oh my gosh, somebody has actually like quantified what we do. That's amazing. So I'm really curious from your perspective, since you've spent so much time researching and studying this, like what are the valuable things that we bring to the table? And when you, when you finish this project, like what was the big take home message for you? Like, and how did things change for you? Like, are you still frustrated? Are you less frustrated now? Like, I'm just curious, you know, the big take home message and what you took from it. Sure. Definitely less frustrated now, that's for sure, because I have the information. And I know like when I did this project, I wanted to put all the information together for other people because I feel like I had to go so many different places and talk to so many different people to find out just a few different answers. So I I feel like I'm I definitely know a lot more of that. And I'm definitely someone that once I have the knowledge of something, I I feel, you know, calmer. Like, you know, I I actually have a handle on what it is. And I feel like I can, I'm in a place now where I have the foundation to make any type of change in my own institution outside, you know, through physical therapy, all that kinds of thing. When it comes to our value, now my cat's sitting on my lap. (laughs) So (laughs) there's her tail. (laughs) Oh, um, oh, she's lovely. Oh my gosh. She always does this when I'm in the video. She also we're just literally like petting her cat right now. And we see the tail like flickering across the screen. It's fantastic. Okay. I'm sorry. What was the question? Okay. So when it comes to value, like what we actually provide in value as PTs, there's a lot, right? There's a lot of things that we can contribute to. So, Hmm. you know, we do fall protection, fall prevention. We do increase throughput. We help with mobility. We make discharge recommendations. But in the acute care setting, there's a lot of people that have their hands in that pot, right? That a lot of people are impacting those outcomes. So how do we measure like what just therapy did, right? Like mm-hmm. that's a great point. So 
I feel like there is a lot of things that we do add value to, but there's there's a limited number of things that we can measure and say this is what physical therapy did or this is the the actual value, the thing that's solely physical therapy value that we can provide. Right, like our direct contribution. Yeah, because, yeah, when you look at a bunch of different things, like decreased ICU days or decreased admission, well, there's a lot of factors that result in decreased admission. We are definitely one of them for sure, sure. but we're not the only one. And we can't just say that, that that's the value that we provide. Uh, so I think like the, like Brian Hold is using the impact scores because they're measuring them like every single time. The AMPAC, I know, is not new to most acute care therapists, but in the PEDS world, it is very new to us. Oh, interesting. <laughs> we are just starting to use it in the PEDS world because it more recently been validated to use in pediatrics down to like three or four. Um, so being able to measure like the, that mobility change or that score each session, then that was a direct result of what you did during that session because it's the score, you knew the score from last time, and then you know the score today. Mm. And I also think discharge recommendations is a huge piece that that we do. We're always the ones that are called and where should this patient or where, you know, what's the most appropriate place for them to go? Not as many options in pediatrics. I mean, we have home outpatient or rehab. That's it. We don't, we don't have long-term care or anything like that for pediatrics, but I think those are two biggest things that we have right now. I'm interested to see like, you know, as time goes on, what other things that we can narrow down to being just impacted by physical therapy. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up the impact for those that may not know the impact. I think a lot of us do, but it's the activity measure post-acute care. Mm-hmm. And there's different ones. There's one for like physical activity, one for basic mobility, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. And there's like an ADL one and a cognition one. I'm assuming the basic mobility one is the one that's used for the formula. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So the six clicks one. Six yep. clicks. Yep. So it's function-based. And so I think that's such a great point that that's something that physical therapy can have a direct impact on, or at least the the biggest impact on, right? Like maybe it comes from other things, but it's definitely something we influence more directly than others. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. Now, Bridget, you know, it's funny, the your project here also, I think it says a lot for how therapists view themselves, right? Because again, we talk about the value that we bring. And what I love when I was reading through this is the idea that we are not just, when you look at the history of productivity, it's not like we're just making widgets and for the amount of work that we're putting in, what's the product that comes out? We don't have a tangible product necessarily that we're measuring, but I love the fact that you had written in here that we are, you know, the use of our consultative services and that how that comes into play, right? There is direct patient care when we're there with the patient, but there's also, like you said, like the discharge planning conversations with the social worker, the case manager, some of the doctors, the nurses, all those things, how that kind of wraps up and how much that comes into play for in terms of the interdisciplinary team. So I think that's really valuable for therapists to hear that, that we are not just there to crank out numbers of billable units, but there's a lot that needs to be said about as consultants, what we do. And I also think it elevates our profession where our our opinion does matter as opposed to let's just go in there and walk a patient or let's just get a patient up into a chair, which I, I, you know, both across the spectrum, I feel that there are therapists that have been in the game they took care for years and that's how they view their profession. I'm just here to walk patients or get them up into the chair versus, and, and some newer, or the, what, what kind of is a gripe for mine is when I have students that go into acute care and they're just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like all I'm doing is getting patients up into a chair. So I think the idea that we are consultants, I think just the, the words that we use are really important. So maybe can oh you talk gosh. a little bit about that 
or we, actually, I know you, you might have no, to. No, I was just going to agree with you, Leo. Just you know, a <laughs> pet peeve of mine when they're like, oh, we just like get up and walk patient. Like, no, my gosh, it's so, do you know all the things going through my brain while I'm doing that? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And all the planning it took and like the critical thinking that goes into that. Sharon Gorman, I think you, you referred to her article, I think in 2015, effective and efficient physical therapy management includes communication, documentation interprofessional communication, decision-making, clinical reasoning, and discharge planning. And that's just to name a few. Those are some of like the big ticket items. There's all these other things that kind of come into play in terms of the value that we bring to these patient scenarios. Yeah. One of my, sor- one of my big sources I used for this project was in the section on workload, which is an article that not a lot of people knew about because it was from 2020, but, and it was, it's in pediatrics. So I think that's one of the reasons it's not commonly known, but hospital did, they like literally followed therapists around in, in the different settings. So, I mean, it was done in outpatient and inpatient rehab and things like that. And someone was like, had an iPad and was like pressing start and stop every time they did a different task, no matter mm-hmm. what the task was, it could be like, you know, treating a patient. Okay, stop drinking water. And they like they categorize every single thing that a therapist did during their day. Wow. And they found that like most of the time, things that they're doing is either treating patients or doing indirect patient care that has to be done to treat patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have all the numbers and everything in my actual project, but it was amazing. And when I read that article, it made me feel a lot better that, okay, the time that I'm not productive on paper, I am actually doing all these other things that need to be done for the patient. And the article is unfortunately only the data from one institution, but there's a special report if you contact the people on it that you can get that like went over nine institutions. And I I just pulled the acute care numbers from it, but it was fascinating that like it was like 4.8, 4, yeah, 4.8% of our day is like non-productive. Like mm-hmm. everything else consider- is considered productive. And they came up with this whole task list of different things that therapists do and have to do to get, you know, quality patient care. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at I'm looking at what you sent us right now. And so it's long at all was the article it looks like in 2020. Yeah. And so for direct patient care, 37.2% of the time. Indirect patient care was 41.7% of the time. I feel like that's so true when I think about my day, right? Mm -hmm. And then non-patient care, 21.2% of the time. So I'm guessing that's probably documentation. And I'm not sure what what plays down. But I mean, the fact that direct patient care is only about a little more than a third of our time, yet that's usually what most of us are billing for. That's the only thing we're billing for, right? That is really, I mean... Uh, can you imagine somebody walking around following you all day, clicking start and stop every time you did something? Yeah. That would be I know. crazy. It, it, I'm so happy I was not one of the therapists. I know. Right. But like knowing that it's for like it's for good. It's right. But how thing. valuable, like such valuable information. Wow, right. I'd not, and in that article, article, so like documentation and things like that is in indirect patient care. It's stuff that has to be done. And like non-patient care with things like trainings you have to do and extra education ah. and I think emails was like a huge one that took up a ton of people's time that I was like, well, wow, I do go through a lot of emails. Like, Mm -hmm. so it was really interesting to see how our day can actually be broken down, Mm -hmm. what we actually do. Yes. We'll put links to all these articles, by the way, that Bridget's mentioning in the chat for all of you. So you'll have access to them. I just want to read a quote. I think you cited it from Drucker 1999, talking about physical therapists and this, this part of quality versus quantity. So physical therapists are not laborers and do not produce a tangible product, which suggests that these methods are not the most appropriate measures to use. 
Physical therapists are classified as knowledge workers. A knowledge worker is an individual who applies theoretical and analytical knowledge to develop products and services. Their work is measured by quality rather than quantity. So when I hear that, I just, I go back to students and new grads that are just racking their brains, that same frustration that you had, Bridget, about, I got to hit this number. I got to hit this number. So maybe that means I give less quality care. I have to sacrifice quality uh, and emphasize on quantity. So I remember like one of my strategies back in the day was put all the ortho patients on my schedule because I can see them. They really, I have to see them twice a day. So I'm more familiar. There's less kind of, especially elective surgeries. But if my goal was to hit productivity because I had to meet it, so I have 90 days to show my value to this new institution I'm working at, give me the ortho patients so I can hit that number. Now, was my quality the best? Maybe not necessarily, you know. And then, and then other things. And actually, it did help in terms of my efficiency. I would just carry, instead of having to hunt for the blood pressure cuff, I just carried my own stethoscope and blood pressure cuff. So that was like, okay, I shaved three minutes off of this treatment time. But I remember as a new grad, just being so focused on the numbers and hitting the numbers and then maybe missing out a little bit more on, was I able to provide good quality for the patient? And there's those intangibles, right? Where patients just having a bad day and they just need to unload. And, you know, is that part of patient care or do you... I know some therapists that feel guilty about sitting there. Like maybe we didn't do any mobility, but you definitely had an impact on that patient's day. So you have have to establish rapport. That's huge in our profession. And the patient has to trust you, right? And that's part of that. Yeah. That's like a mic drop quote. Especially with pediatrics. That kid is not going to let you anywhere near them unless they completely trust you and they can see that their parents trust you as well and let you like approach them and actually work with them. So that takes up a lot of time and it's a lot. It's important thing. And it's going to help you the next day, too, when you go in to see that patient. You've already taken that time to establish the rapport. You have to get, gain the trust a little bit back each day because you don't know what happened from the time you left to the time you came back in that room. But, you know, with with peas, you can't go quickly. You, I mean, you can be as you can be efficient in what you're doing as well, you know, while you're going through these treatments and things like that. But you you can't rush kids. You're going to lose your rapport and you might lose your rapport for the rest of the team. Because next time they hear physical therapy. They're going to say, well, I remember that that one PT did this to me and I, I didn't like it. And it, you know, it made them upset. So that's a huge, huge part of Pete's. Oh, yeah. Because, oh, my gosh. So I bet in Pete's, like, they don't forget anything, right? Like, and they're so <laughs> brutally honest. Like, oh, I can't imagine. Any, was there any differences you learned when you were doing this project, like between adults and kids? Because I feel like so many times we separate like adults and pediatrics. Was there any difference or is it kind of across the board? I mean, I didn't see anything that compared yeah. them directly to each other. And the article that I used along at all was on pediatrics. But from when I was I was a student in acute care, but I've only actually worked in pediatric acute care. The goals are the same. The goals of the treatment session the timing of the treatment sessions is similar. So that's why I felt like I could use that as a source for my project because the, the goals of treatment, everything is the same. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. So any funny stories to share about working in Pete? I got to know, because I don't work yeah. in Pete's. I want to hear. <laughs> There's oh, got to be. I don't even know. My favorite ones are when kids tell me that like different lines or tubes need to be removed. Like, any little boy with a catheter in will tell me like, oh, this needs to go. I don't need this anymore. Just like so like serious and clearly that that's what they need to do. Um, I mean, all the time, I mean, you really have to like make believe and not be afraid to look silly. So I've had kids, I have one kid particularly I can think about where 
he did not want any eyes on him in the hallway. And mm. but he liked to be seen in the morning to go up to the therapy gym. We have a few therapy gyms at my hospital, but you have to walk through the hallway where all of the um, the doctors, the NPs, PAs, everyone's rounding. So we had to be invisible every single time. So I had to like crouch down really small and just like keep saying, oh, they can't see us. Keep going slowly. And he would crouch down behind me and we would like walk through these rounding groups as quickly as we can. You mean the Harry Kids Potter. Kids were just funny. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was the invisibility cloak. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. I love but it. But I just, it's the things that kids say that's the funniest because like you said, it's so truthful. It's, there's no filter on anything. And you can't help but laugh like mm -hmm. it, it's hysterical mm -hmm. i love working in peds i i really hope that like where i i love the hospital i work at i love everything about it um i don't think i could ever go back to adults i mean after yeah, having this opportunity mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, i i admire people that work with peds so much and i love kids i have kids love kids Oh, I just think it would break my heart in a hospital with peds. Like mm -hmm. I just might, I would go home crying every day. And I'm sure you learn how to cope and, and deal with those things. But it, it's whenever I see those kids in the gym where I work, like it just off oh, with those lines coming out of them. And I work in an ICU of people have mm -hmm. lines all the time. Mm -hmm. But when they're coming out of the kids, oh, it just tears my heart up. I think yeah. one of the, the, the coolest thing I've seen pediatric therapists do is manual muscle tests because I teach manual muscle testing to the DPT students, right? And there's the formal way to teach it. But then it's like, it's hard enough to do a manual muscle test on outpatient, on a totally cognizant patient that can respond. But you pediatric therapists that can, that can gain muscle assessment, not in the formal zero to five scale. I think the, the, the way you're able to, to observe and, and see a patient's movements and be able to, to come up with that information is, is so cool. Bridge, I want to ask you this question because I feel that acute care is a small part of the whole universe of physical therapy. And acute pediatrics is an even smaller subsection of that. What would you, what advice would you give to maybe a student that has maybe some inclination towards pediatrics, but they also like the hospital and might find themselves in a similar role as you are at? My advice would be try to find a clinical mm -hmm. in acute care pediatrics. When I was a student, I didn't know that that was possible. I didn't think uh, that they let students into the hospital. We definitely do. I've had a student so far and she loved it and she did great. And it, it's the area that she ended up wanting to go in. So, and so yeah, it's first find a clinical or try to find a clinical, ask questions. Um, if your school doesn't know, you know, have an association for a relationship with a pediatric hospital, ask around to find one somewhere else. Um, and then try to connect with those of us that are working in acute care feeds, because we will share everything you possibly want to know. Um, <laughs> look, we're, we're, we'll be very honest about it. There is anyone that's interested in pediatrics through the PED section. We have a SIG called the Student and New Professional SIG. And within that, we have a mentorship program. So it's new professionals that are paired with students. And when you're filling out your forms and things like that, you can put like, hey, I'm inter interested in acute care pediatrics. And then you can get partnered with me or, you know, another therapist in that area to kind of ask your questions to get your information, even like to share resources and things like that. I found it was very hard to find that information when I was a student. I knew this is what I always wanted to do, but there wasn't a lot. I didn't know where to look for the answers and I didn't know who to ask for the answers. So that's a great mentorship program to get involved with. Then you could start getting some of the answers. A lot of the mentors have also done residencies, so they have some experience in acute care if that's not their primary setting now. Oh my gosh. And speaking about things that add value, 
Like, what a great program to have through the Academy of Peace. I mean, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that with our audience, because I bet a lot of people didn't know that. And I can tell you as a very recently former assistant director of clinical education, those peed spots are highly coveted and they go quickly. So even if you don't get like a peds rotation, being able to have that mentorship program and that connection and that networking available to you is such a great opportunity. That's that's really cool. I'm glad you shared that. But are there other resources for our audience that you think that would be beneficial for them, whether it's articles, websites? mentors, people, what are some other resources that you'd want to kind of give a shout out towards? Oh, goodness. I think my research research pages are like, there's like five pages long for this project. Well, so APTA actually has some new resources now on productivity. So on APTA.org under, I think, practice, there's a productivity button now. So they came out with two. So it's now one was like the environmental scan that they did for productivity on all professions. And then there was one that was specific to specific just to PT. And actually, Anita was working on this, like, well, I was also working on my project. So like, we would share things and kind of go back and forth on it. Oh, there's there's so many, so many things. I think knowing the House of Delegates motions is good, just so that you have that foundational information mm-hmm. of what you stand for at EPTA. And there's a consensus statement on clinical judgment in healthcare settings that was joint between AOTA, APTA, and ASHA, so OTPT and speech about productivity. Anything learning about knowledge workers was a cool thing. I that was the first time this year was the first or last year now was the first time I heard that phrase and I felt really empowered after reading it. Being like, yeah, I'm a knowledge worker. Like I'm about quality and things like that. So mm-hmm. Peter Drucker's stuff was really cool to read about. I felt the same way, by the way, when Leah read that quote. I was like, mic drop. We're knowledge yeah. workers. We're knowledge workers, not just yeah. laborers. I love that. And you're right. Like we're so humble. We don't we don't say these things. We don't articulate this or you know explain our value. Or or Bridget, like you were saying, sometimes we get frustrated and we we people say, oh, you're just here to walk a patient, and then we we kind of retaliate with sometimes anger. But I feel these are like great teaching opportunities. But if we don't show these skills, if we don't explain these skills, if we don't engage in conversations, people don't know. So for the audience that's yeah. out there, engage with with all these other healthcare providers. And it's you all that are out there that are going to be kind of helping spread this message. So much Toot your own horn a little bit more. Yeah, we need to toot our own horns. Bridget, I want to know before we move on to our rapid responses, what's next for you, both professionally and personally? And please, please, please share the personal stuff that you shared with us because it's so cool. Your award. Yeah, your, your race award. Runner up. <laughs> your oh, runner up. Awesome. I was like, wait, so, what award? What? Yeah, so what's next for you personally? Okay. And you must share that, at least that. And then also what's next okay. for you professionally now that this program's over? Okay, so, okay, personally first. So what they're talking about is in the fun facts that I had to fill out, which I'm excited because I'm 28 and I feel like I finally have like a fun fact about me. You know, like when you did all those icebreakers growing up, I'd just be like, I'm from Cleveland or like, you know, wh- you know, whatever. I have three siblings. Now I actually have a real fun fact. So my husband and I got married in September 2021. And it was literally like the beginning of 20. 20- it was like January 1st, 2021. We found out that there's this race called the wife carrying competition. And we were like, Oh my gosh, this is so cool. And the international one is in Finland, which we did not get to go to. Wife carrying competition. Wife. Yes, race. Okay. Wife wife carrying competition. Like your husband picks you up and carries you? What? Okay, I'm I'm understanding it correctly. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. The life has to be off the ground during the whole race. Oh, my gosh. Um, so we found there's a North American one. And if you win the North American one, you get to go to the Finland one. And we were like so excited. We're like, we're going to be newly married, which you don't actually have to be married to do the race. Like it doesn't even have to be like a male and a female. It's whatever. It's just two people. That's um, right. So and it all worked out like it was going to be like leaf peeping time up because it's up in Maine, the North mm. American one at this ski resort. So we like made our, our first like mini honeymoon trip up to Maine and did a Katie and all that stuff. So the race, it's not that long. It's only like 200 something yards. But okay. because it's a ski, <laughs> ski resort, you have to go like miles. Like, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's fast. Okay. Um, Amazing race. <laughs> and then. There's three obstacles. So there's like a hurdle, which was oh. like the biggest hurdle I've ever seen. Like my husband's six four and it was like up to his hip. And then, then you have to like sprint up this hill. And then there's like a water pit, like mud pit situation. <laughs> and then there is like this sand hill that you have to go up. So you can carry however you want, but most people do the Estonian carry. So it's I like if you explain, imagine someone. Yes. yes. So if you imagine someone piggyback. But then flip them upside down. So like my thighs are on his shoulders. My face is right by his rear end. I and mean, you're like hugging around their middle because that's like the fastest way that oh my they gosh. can run. Mm -hmm. uh, because you you don't want your husband to have to like hold on to your legs. You want to like be solid so that they can run and just focus on running. Okay, um, now we need links to photos and videos for this race. My and husband I, does have photos. <laughs> and I want to know how you got over the hurdle. Seriously, I really want to know. Uh, I mean, he... He jumped or he like did like a, he put his hands on it and did like one leg. Oh over my the other. word. My <laughs> eyes were closed during that time. And I had like, I had my hand out just in case so my head wouldn't hit the wooden beam. Oh um, my gosh. So we did, you had to do the qualifying run and we were lucky. We didn't have to race anybody else in the qualifying run because we were the last ones to go. So we just had to race the clock. Um, and so it was us and another couple in the finals. And the other couple that won, that was their third year in a row winning. Like they were like, you know, all time champs. So they did a really good job. They were very fast. It's like uh -huh. serious um, business for them. They have their yeah, technique and it was, down flawless. <laughs> yes. And they like, they train and everything like that. And we were like, we didn't know we were supposed to do that, but we will next time. So they beat us in the final one. But so to, the prize is equal to your wife's weight in beer. And they literally... <laughs> As well as five times her weight in cash. But they literally like put you on this big teeter totter and then like stack cases of beer. And I didn't know I got to do that too. So we got equal to my weight in pop. And then they like threw in some cases of beer too. So I got to sit on the big teeter totter and then they like stacked stuff. We literally just heated it all out afterwards because we, because we flew there and it was like 15 cases of pop. Okay, first of all, stop. So I got to stop. Pop. Like, so I used to live in Michigan and they called it pop. You're talking about like, Soda, carbonated beverage, yeah. correct? Like, soda. People call it different everywhere. It's yep, yep, yep. oh my gosh, fascinating. When we were up there, we were when we were handing it to people, we asked if they wanted soda because we're like we're on the East Coast. Like right, you're like they're not going to know what pop. Is. They're going to be like, do you want yeah. pop? And then you think you're going to punch you yeah. or something, right? Yeah. So we came in second place, but we were the heaviest couple there, like by a long shot. So we got the um, what did they call it? The Clydesdale Award because we were uh -huh. the oh fastest couple over 350 combined. Wow. So that was right. like to me. And we wanted to go back in 2022, but my sister's wedding was the exact same day. So it wasn't going to work out. But that couple that won, they were like, they weren't going either because they were about to have a baby. And I was like, this was our year to win. Like, <laughs> we're going to be there. So hopefully this next year we'll make it back and 
claim and actually practice and claim the title. Well, we're going to be rooting for you 100%. Yeah. Thank you. How about professionally? What's next for you professionally? Well, I'm sitting for the PCS in March. So that's my next big thing. So no, nothing else big until then. I really got to focus on my studying now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a few small projects at work because since we have the AMPAC now, we're working on integrating that into our workflow. I'm hoping to be slated as a delegate in Ohio. So, you know, stay tuned on if I make it to Leadership Congress. Vote for Bridget. Bridget. (laughs) (laughs) But that's it for now. I like to limit my projects, only like two big things at a time, just to like so I can focus on like life and things like that. We just bought a house. You know, we're painting a room today. You know, that kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. nothing too major coming up. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, congratulations. That's awesome. Sounds like a good plan. Good way to start 2023. Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Are we ready for our rapid responses? Oh, yes. I, think, I think we're ready. Yeah, get ready. Get, get ready. ready. Speed <laughs> round. All right. Let me set my timer. Okay. Here we go. Leo, you want to start with the first question once I get the timer ready? I will start off. Yeah. I'll start off with the first question. So, again, so the, the rules of engagement is that we are. Is it a minute, Ashley, or are you doing a minute and a half? minute and a half. You do a minute and a half. Rapid responses. We're going to ask Bridget, and you're going to quickly come up with the first answer that pops into your head. So a minute and a half. Nothing too crazy, Jeez. but it'll be fun. Yeah. No, no, no PT exam questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're nicer than that. Yeah. All right. You ready? All right. Ready and go. Okay, Bridget, what is your most favorite way to exercise? Weightlifting. Weightlifting, okay. Would you rather be the hero or the sidekick? Ooh, probably the hero. <laughs> Great. If you had an entrance song walking into your patient room, what would that song be? Oh my gosh. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. All right. I'm not good with music. <laughs> That's fine. It's good. It's okay. We can come back to that one. Yeah. Think okay. about it. We can always come back to it. Fiction right. or nonfiction? Fiction or nonfiction? Oh, oh, geez. Oh, I love them both. Well, right now I'm reading a fiction book, so we'll say fiction. Okay, excellent. Right, in the spirit of your competition, would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? I love this question. The duck-sized horses, for sure. (laughs) Very cool. Fair enough. What's your favorite scrub color? I like black, classic black. All right. Doesn't show as much dirt. I like it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who is your favorite cartoon character? Oh, geez. I really liked Tweety when I was little. I had like a little Tweety person, everything. So I'll say Tweety. That's cute. Very cool. What other podcasts would you recommend to our audience? Oh, geez. Um, they're you. I don't think it has the same name anymore. I used to listen to Walking Home from the ICU. Mm. But I think oh. they just changed its name. But that's a great podcast. Okay. Walking Home from the ICU. I'm going to have to write that one yeah. down. Okay. Yeah. But I think la- they just changed. Last one, you know you work in acute care when? Oh, I'm going to use my same answer. When you have to keep extra clothes at your desk because you you will either get peed, pooped on, puked on, any of the above <laughs> secretions from a human in any given day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. True. So true. Well, Bridget, where can we find you? Where can our audience find you if they want to either reach out to you or follow you on social media? I'm pretty elusive. I, well, the only social media I have is a Facebook right now. So, I mean, you can find me on Facebook, but I don't often post. But if you want to reach out to me, you can absolutely email me. My email is bridgetcgriffin at gmail.com. And they'll, 
they'll put my name on there so that it's spelled right because Bridget is not spelled traditionally. But I'm happy to chat, you know, either via email, phone call, text, anything like that, anytime about this project or anything else with Acute Care Beats. Awesome. Bridget, thank you so much for you know, discussing your project and sharing your knowledge and having a great conversation with us today. Yes, Thanks thank for you. having me. This was really fun. I was very nervous, but so I, I hope you got some good tidbits. <laughs> well, for sure. Absolutely. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. We would like to thank Bridget for joining us today. Acute Conversations is the official podcast of APT Acute Care. It is hosted by Leo Argulis and Ashley Poole. Executive produced by Katie Brito and Edward Mathis. Music by Alexia Action from Pixabay. Sound effects from Pixabay. For more information about APT Acute Care, please go to aptacutecare.org. If you found value from our podcast, please be sure to like, follow, and subscribe. Join us in two weeks when we talk to Dr. Jen Ryan about acute care specialization. Thank you for listening, and may your shoes and scrubs stay clean today.